Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as together we meditate on your word for us, Lord, I pray that that would truly be acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer who calls us to follow you. Amen. So as I said at the beginning, we are in this series that we are calling Follow, and Follow is all about what it means to be a disciple. We've been defining discipleship as being more like Jesus. And the reason we've been defining it that way is when we read through the Bible, that's what discipleship is all about. Ephesians says it well, our goal is to become a mature person, to grow until we become like Jesus. And we get that that won't happen fully and completely till we get to heaven. But right now, this side of heaven, we are working every day to be more like Jesus. And we're also talking in this series about how Jesus said to us, that's not enough. It's not just enough to focus on our own personal growth, but we are to be disciples who make disciples. We are to be people who help other people come to see Jesus and to know him as their savior and to follow him. Last week, we talked about this idea that it all begins with an invitation, doesn't it? That we invite people to come and see Jesus, just like Philip did, uh, just like Andrew did. And uh, I, I talked to you last week about how, you know, sometimes we think, well, I don't know how to ask people about Jesus. And we say, well, wait a minute. You don't, uh, you don't take a course to figure out how to teach people about your grandchildren, do you? Right? Those of you that are grandparents, you just naturally know how to tell people about your grandchildren because you love them so much. And, uh, and that same love that we have from, for Jesus should prompt us uh, to be eager and ready to invite others to come and see who Jesus is and to understand the difference that Jesus can make in their lives. Now today, we want to turn to what, what really is at the heart of what discipleship is all about. But first, um, I was thinking about this, um, that there have been different times in my life where either I have made commitments to something or someone has made a commitment for me. And uh, uh, here's one example of that. Before I was born, or actually right after I was born, my grandparents took out a life insurance policy for me. Okay, they made a commitment for me, but they did it without my knowledge, without my approval or anything like that. They just bought me this life insurance policy. And when I turned 18, they gave it to me and said, now you can either keep paying the premium on it or you can cash it in. You can do whatever you want with it. But it was a, it was a commitment that was made in my name, but I didn't really make that commitment. It was made for me by someone else. By the way, I not only kept it, I expanded it, and I'm still using it today, right? Many, many years later. So um, here's another example of that. When I enrolled at Concordia uh, University uh, for my undergrad, I expressed to the um, admissions counselor that I was really concerned about my parents helping me with my education. I was, I was worried that that was going to be a financial burden for them, and I was doing my best, uh, and I, but, but I was worried about that. And so she, without my knowledge, without me having to do anything, she applied for some scholarships for me, and guess what? I got one of them. And uh, so, he, so he, again, here was this gift that someone kind of gave me. I didn't, I didn't authorize it. I didn't plan for it. I didn't ask for it. It was just a commitment that somebody made for me that ended up being a great blessing in my life. But there have been other times in my life where I have made commitments that I made, that I decided to make those commitments. For example, how many of you have a mortgage? Yeah, that's a pretty big commitment that we make, isn't it? We sign a piece of paper and we say, for the next 30 years, once a month, I'm going to pay this incredible sum of money um, for the privilege of living here in this house, right? That's, that's a commitment that we make. Or when I was ordained, I made a commitment. I promised that I was going to faithfully teach what God's word has to say. 
That, that was the commitment I made then, and it's a commitment I still do my best to keep today. Or it'll be 40 years ago this year, I made a commitment in front of an altar to my wife that in better and in worse and richer and poorer and sickness and health that, that I was gonna be there and I was going to continue to love her and do my best to be a good husband to her. I said, I do. And that was a commitment that I made. And again, Betty and I are celebrating 40 years this year. That's kind of exciting. That's, that's kind of uh, great to see God's blessing of that commitment in my life. So here's the question I have for you. When it comes to our faith, is it a commitment that someone made for me? that I didn't really do anything for? Or is it a commitment that I made, that I made a decision to make? And as good Lutheran Christians, the answer to that question is yes. It's both of those. And let's take a look at that a little bit together this morning. First of all, obviously, let's see what God's word says. In Ephesians 2, we read these words, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Paul says that the commitment that we have of faith is not a commitment that we made. It is a commitment that God made for us. It is through his grace that we are saved. And that grace is given to us through this thing called faith. And even that thing of faith is not of our own doing. We didn't decide to believe. It is a gift that God gave us that we are capable of believing through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So our faith is a gift from God. It's a commitment that God made for us. So in a very real way, when we think about our relationship to God, we are simply receivers. We are people that receive his love and his grace through the waters of our baptism. Whether we were a little tiny baby that didn't even really know what was going on around us or whether we were baptized as an adult, it doesn't matter. We are receivers. We simply receive the gift of faith that God gives us. Later in the service, you're going to come up here before this altar and you're going to receive the body and blood of Jesus. And even though you made the decision to get up this morning and you made the decision to be here and you'll make the decision to get out of the pew and walk forward, really what's happening in that is not something you're doing, it's something God is doing for you. He is giving you this gift of his love and his grace and we simply receive it. I love this verse in Isaiah 43 where God reminds us that the reason we belong to him is because he is the one that has called us by name. He says, I have called you by name, you are mine. And in fact, just a few chapters later in Isaiah, he says it this way, God says, literally, I have engraved your name on the palm of my hand. You belong to God, and it's because of nothing that you did, it is because of his act of love and grace, it is because what Jesus willingly did to give his life for you, our faith is a gift. But there's another side to this too, isn't it? There's a response side to this as well. And that's what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 9, that reading that we heard before, which by the way, if you were really paying attention to that reading, there were some troubling words that Jesus spoke, didn't he? He said things like, you've got to hate your family if you're going to follow me, or you've got to give everything if you're going to be my disciple. Those should be troubling words to us. And, uh, and Jesus said this, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, he says, you must take up your, give up your own way and take up your cross daily and follow me. 
And, uh, and then he restated that a few verses later just to make sure we didn't miss it. He said, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. These are strong words. That's why Jesus says, if you're thinking about being a disciple, if you want to follow me, you better first think about what the cost is. You better count that cost. He said this in uh, verse 28. He said, who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation and everyone would laugh at you. You know, it's kind of ironic that Jesus said this, because if you've ever been to the Middle East, or someone today told me this morning, it's, it's like this in Africa, too, you see un- un- houses that are half-built all over the place. And I, I asked my guide once when we were in Israel about that, and he said, well, they don't get mortgages here. What they do is they build as much as they have money for, then they stop and wait till they get more money. When they get more money, they just keep, keep building, keep adding on. And, uh, but, but Jesus is saying that's not how life is supposed to work. That's not how being a disciple is supposed to work. He says, if you are going to follow me, what you need to do is you need to sit down and think about what it's going to cost you to follow me. You need to really understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus before you say, yes, I want to do that. He used a second example. He said this. He says, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to figure out if his 10,000 men could defeat the 20,000 men. And if they decide they can't, he says, he sends out emissaries very quickly to try to make peace. He doesn't want to get into that war if he thinks he can't finish what he starts out to do. That's what Jesus is challenging us to do. He's saying, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow me, make sure you understand what the cost is. And what's the cost? It's high. Jesus says the cost of following him is literally giving up everything. I mean, Jesus said it very plainly and very clearly. He said, so you cannot become my disciple. He says, you can't follow me. You can't be more like Jesus without giving up everything. So just to make sure we get it, he really kind of drives the point home. And by the way, Jesus is using a teaching method that was common in his day and maybe not so common in our day. In Jesus' day, this rabbinical teaching method was you would exaggerate almost to the point of silliness to make sure people got your point. And so Jesus does that here. He says, if you want to be my disciple, and by the way, I I like this New Living Translation because it it kind of reflects that. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. In other words, Jesus says, if you really want to love me, I've got to be the first thing in your life, and your love for everything else, including yourself, should pale by comparison. That's what Jesus is trying to help us see. That's the cost of following Jesus. So let's review. The cost of your salvation, nothing. It is a free gift that God has given you. There is nothing you need to do to earn your salvation. There is nothing you could ever do. The Bible says you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but while you were yet a sinner, God loved you and gave his gift of life to you. You simply receive this gift from him. Your salvation is yours, and it is free, and it is secure. There's nothing you could ever do to make God say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I'm not letting you into heaven. Your Faith is secure because it is a gift from God and it costs you nothing. By the way, it cost Jesus something, didn't it? He paid the price of everything. 
He gave his life. He left the joys of heaven, the praise of angels, and he became a little humble human baby and then he lived a perfect life in a sinful broken world and then he gave that life willingly on the cross it cost him everything but it's free to you it's free to me it's a gift from him our salvation is ours through the gift that God has given us but now in response to that salvation Jesus says but if you want to follow me that does cost something it costs everything Now, here's the question. If that's true, if it's true that your salvation is yours, there's nothing you can do uh, to to separate yourself from the love of God in Christ Jesus, as Scripture says. If it's true that God's love is yours and there's no cost to it at all, but following Jesus and trying to live your life according to his plan for him, well, that's going to be costly. That's going to cost everything. Then why be a disciple? Why not just go, well, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about any of the rest of that stuff. Let's look at the other story that we heard read this morning. The disciples are out in a boat. They're fishermen. And by the way, we often call them poor, humble fishermen. I'm not so sure if that's true. Uh, The latest uh, research we have from archaeologists of the day tell us that fishermen actually did pretty well. They actually would have been the more wealthy people in their community. Uh, they, They knew their trade. They knew it well. They supplied food for a whole region. They owned boats. They owned nets. They had nice places to live by the seashore. They they did well. And uh, so fishermen were, in all likelihood, respected members of the community who were fairly well off. And those fishermen, a few of them at least, have been fishing that day. And uh, they spent a lot of time out there late at night into the early morning. And this particular day, the fishing hasn't been so good. Which, if you were a fisherman in those days, you knew to expect that. Some days would be good, some days not so good. That was okay. That was kinda, it kind of went with the job. And on this particular morning, Jesus comes and he does some teaching. And, uh, and then he turns to Peter and he says, hey, how about you go over there and fish? And Peter's like, you can tell what he's thinking. He's like, uh... Jesus, why don't you stick to doing your preaching thing and let me be the fisherman, right? I know what I'm doing. But, but you almost hear the resignation in Peter's voice. He's like, because it's you, Jesus. All right, we'll go do it. And you can just see the look. Jesus, Peter's going, you know, this isn't going to work. Every once in a while, um, when someone on our staff here at Trinity comes to me with an idea, and I think it's a dumb idea, you know, I'll try to talk them out of it, you know, but at some point, if they're insistent, I'll go, okay, go ahead. One of us is going to learn something. And what I mean by that is you're going to learn something, because of course, I know what I'm talking about, right? Now, every once in a while, I get surprised. And that's what happens to Peter, isn't it? Peter lets the net down, and there's just, it, it, this miraculous thing happens. And by the way, the description here is enough to make us figure out that Jesus didn't just know more about fishing than Peter. What, there's a miracle that happens. He demonstrates that he is the God of the universe that is in control of everything, and the nets are so full of fish, the other boat has to come help him with it. It's more fish than they've ever caught before, more than they could ever handle. And Peter recognizes what's just happened. He realizes that Jesus isn't just a good fisherman, that there's more than this going on. And he calls him Lord, and he falls to his feet before him and says, go away from me because I'm a sinner. In other words, he recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus says, nah, Peter, I don't have to go away. Just come follow me. 
Folks, the reason that we are willing to give up everything to follow Jesus is because Jesus' way works better than our way. It's just that simple. You know, we may think like Peter that we've got life figured out and we know how to fish and we know how to negotiate our way through the daily uh, struggles and cares of life here on this earth. We may think we've got life figured out, but, but then all of a sudden something happens and we realize we have no idea what we're doing, right? Jesus comes along and he says, I've got a better way. And, and it's not just a better practical way of living, it's a way that that attaches you into my love and my grace in miraculous ways in your life. The reason we are willing to give up everything to follow Jesus is because it's just absolutely the best way to live. If we want to have life this side of heaven in all its fullness, it means setting aside our own desires, our own wants, our own plans, and living out God's desires and plans for our life. It means giving up everything so that we can have everything through him. So here's the question. Are you willing to take the leap? Now, I'm not asking you if you want to be saved. You're already saved. You already have that gift of God's love and grace. What I'm asking you is this side of heaven, are you willing to take the leap to follow Jesus? To leave behind what you think you've got figured out about life and follow his plan for your life. Follow where he leads. It's going to be different than what you would do. You know, on our discipleship path, this is the way we talk about that. Once you come to know who Jesus is, once you have come and seen Jesus, and now you want to know more about what it means to be a disciple, we have this thing that we call discover. It's a chance for you to to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus how we talk about that here at Trinity. And by the way, when you came in today, you were given a copy of the covenant that we use with people in Discover to help them think through what it means to give up everything and follow Jesus. And we encourage people as a part of that Discover process to then make a commitment and to say, yes, I wanna follow Jesus. Yes, I recognize this gift of God's love and grace that I've been given, and I wanna give up everything so that I can live more like Jesus and follow him every day. And by the way, maybe you've been around Trinity for a long time and you've never made that commitment. What are you waiting for? By the way, if you've never signed our covenant, if you've never had that moment where you have said, yes, I want to follow Jesus, we'd encourage you to take that covenant home with you and pray about it. And if you want to bring that back next week and give it to Pastor Nick or put it in the offering plate, um, we will do all we can to help you live out that commitment. Jesus invites us to follow him. I want to tell you one last story before I end the message today. A couple weeks ago, I had a chance to meet a guy who told me kind of an amazing story. Um, years ago, this was in the early 90s, he had a chance uh, when Snapple first came on the market as a company, he had a chance to be one of the owners of the company, to buy into that. By the way, just a little side note, do you know where Snapple got its name from? They sold apple juice, and they came to a meeting, and they said, we need a snappy name for our apple juice. And somebody said, how about Snapple? And I went, sounds good to me, Okay. But, uh, but the Snapple company actually went up from sale from the original owners in 1992, and a group of investors, of which this guy I met was one of them, had a chance to buy it. And, and he said it was going to cost him a million dollars for his share. 
And uh, at that moment in his life, that was about all the money he had. It was his total retirement. It was his, uh, his discretionary savings. It, it was mortgaging his house. It, it, he figured it out. He could scrape it together. He could have invested that million dollars, but he decided the price was just too high. It was just too much. It was too big a risk. And he said no. But the other guys went ahead, and they raised the money, and they bought it. And two years later, they sold Snapple for $1.6 billion. His $1 million in two years would have become $100 million. He told me, he said, there are still, now this is 20 years later, he said, there are still nights that I lay in bed awake thinking, what the heck did I miss? Folks, don't do that. Jesus is giving you an incredible opportunity. He's already given you eternal life. That is yours. There's nothing you can do to lose that. That's his gift to you. But he's giving you even more. He's giving you a chance to follow him, to, to be a disciple, to become more like him in your life. And yeah, the price is high. You have to scrape everything together because he says he wants everything. But what do you miss if you say No. What, what opportunities to live out his love and grace in your life right here today will you miss? If you say, nah, you know, that's a little too high. I pray that each and every one of us would heed Jesus' call to count the cost and then to follow him. Amen.